welcome to the 963 Universal Frequency. I'm your host, Esther Clare, spreading awareness with an open heart, an open mind, living life and being free. And in this episode, I will be talking about my journey to going plant-based. I'll talk a little bit about GMOs, genetically modified organisms in vegetables, fruits and grains, steroids and hormones injected into animals, and a little bit about fasting. I just wanted to make it clear, a disclaimer, that you should always do your own research and seek a health practitioner's advice for recommendations. This is purely my perspective and what I believe in and what I feel works well for my body. So if you are thinking about going plant-based or planning to do a fast, definitely seek an expert's advice before you proceed to do that. I thought to do an episode on this topic because a lot of people ask me why I went plant-based and what do I eat if I don't eat animal products. And I often come across somebody that wants to have a debate. It's always a man and he loves his meat. They just seem to spot you out of a crowd like Where's Wally and they like to single you out. Now, I don't have a problem with meat eaters. I was a meat eater. I would eat meat at least three times a day. So I would do breakfast, lunch, dinner, and I would snack in between. 80% of my diet was meat, red meat, chicken, and then the rest was vegetables i hardly ate any fruit i was never overweight i've always been just right for my height and my body type i do work out a lot i did find the more that i worked out the hungrier i was and i suppose for me now that i have gone plant-based i don't need to eat as much i find i have a lot of energy and I'm eating one to two meals a day. A lot of people think that's not good. However, I feel great and I don't feel tired. I get blood checks done and I seem to have fine levels in in everything. Even my B12 is really good. I think it is my body type, possibly. I am an avid hiker, so I do tend to go out and do long walks and so maybe that as well has contributed to me being able to intermittent fast or fast for long periods of time. So I suppose I knew I didn't want to eat animals from a very young age. My sisters and brother, they always thought that I was going to be a vet or work with animals in in some way. I was at the dinner table, I would have been seven. There was quite a few situations where I wouldn't eat my meat. And my dad was old school when it came to discipline. I'm sure times have changed. And he he was really, really old school when I say this. So I would be at the dinner table, everybody else would go to bed. I wouldn't be allowed to leave the dinner table until I ate my meat my dad would be infuriated because I was so stubborn. I refused to eat. And so what he'd do is pinch my nose 
and tilt my head back and he would shove the meat down my throat. And so it sounds pretty horrific at the time. I didn't see it that way. I kind of spat the meat out and I was really stubborn about it. So there was a few of those incidents as, as I was a kid. And um, then when I got into my teens living with my mom, so my mom is from Cebu. She's from the Philippines. And my dad was uh, European, Australian, so Scottish, Irish background. So living with mom, it was Filipino cuisines, lumpia, which is like a, an egg crepe filled with vegetables and meat, rice noodles, poklodobo, uh, a lot of rice dishes. So relatively healthy. However, there is a lot of oil in a lot of Filipino foods. And I guess I always had this uh, weird relationship with food. And I think it was when I started to travel, I really put meat at the back of my, my mind because when you travel, you're going for the most convenient option, usually the cheapest, and you just see it as a source of energy. So I was never really too focused on, on fine dining at a nice place in, in a lot of the places that I ended up traveling to. So meat was definitely at the back of my mind until I got into my 30s. And, and things started to trigger it again. Nepal, my trip to Nepal would have been the first trigger uh, that I can remember, recall. And I do go to some Buddhist classes and I do yoga. I wouldn't say that I'm a practicing Buddhist. I like the ideology of it, the guidelines. Uh, but I, would, I wouldn't say that I am a, a Buddhist. I found that there were a lot of people that I had met that um, had a different view in terms of the life of an animal. And I also had some situations where I saw some cruelty to animals as well, which definitely opened my eyes to, to what was happening. And after that trip, I ended up breaking up with a, a partner and I was homeless, I was jobless as well. It sounds really or you know, violin-y but it was probably the best thing that could have happened. And so I was pretty down in the dumps at the time and I ended up getting hit by a cyclist pretty bad. And uh, you're probably thinking, how in the hell did you get hit by a cyclist? I got hit from behind and I ended up landing on a pile of rocks. I ended up having to get 16 stitches, uh, a couple of x-rays, and I was off work. For a little over a week, I had to get a, a certificate to say that I was fit to return to work because I was working on a site. I, yeah, I couldn't walk for the, the, the day after. I just couldn't walk. I didn't realize how bad it had impacted me being hit by a cyclist. You just, at the time when you first get hit, you, I was just furiated. I was so angry that I got hit by this guy who obviously could see I was there. And he just tried, I think what he did, he won't admit to it, but he went to overtake me, obviously didn't check behind him and there was someone there and he decided, oh, ran into the pedestrian in front of me. And that sort of 
what happened, pretty much what I think happened anyway, even though both the cyclists wouldn't admit who was in, at fault. And uh, so, yeah, that was a pretty weird situation. Uh, and then shortly after that, I had detached retinas, which is mind-boggling because I was young uh, and there was no trauma to the eye. So a lot of, a lot of boxers, like pro professional fighters, get detached retinas or people that have maybe been in an accident and have impacted their head in some way that it can force the retinas to detach or it could also be from old age. So for those of you that don't know what a detached retina is, the retina is basically a layer of tissue on the back of the eye and when it pulls away, it impacts what you can see. So you can go blind if it completely detaches from the eye. So the retina is there to send information to your brain through the optic nerve. And when I started to have issues seeing, it, it felt as if I had a bug in my eye. I don't know if you've ever experienced that. If you've accidentally got an insect in your eye and you, you try to get it out, it was that kind of feeling. I never experienced the flashing lights or the black dots. They usually say that that is the first signs of detached retinas. But for me, it was just blurriness. So I went to my optometrist and he checked my eyes and he said my vision was fine, that it hadn't changed since the last time I saw him. And if it felt as if it was getting worse, come back to see him. And I, something just didn't feel right about that. I decided to get a second opinion. I went to another optometrist and he took shots of, of the backs of the eyes. So he scanned the backs of the eyes and we could actually see that there was this tissue that had lifted off from the backs of my eyes. Long story short, he said, this is an emergency procedure. I had no idea how serious it was. He booked me in to see an ophthalmologist who also did all his tests and then he referred me to two surgeons to get two different opinions because I said I wanted to see two different surgeons before I considered anything but he insisted that this is a serious an, an emergency procedure so I had to think fast. I ended up going with uh, one of the surgeons who said that I had to get a cylindrical buckle put on the backs of the eyes Basically, that's a silicone that is sewed to the backs of the eyes. So I'm put under anesthetic and I get the procedure done. Long story short, the surgeon approaches and says I was unable to seal all the tears through using just the buckle. So we're going to have to do some lasering. How do you feel about that? And I said, do it. And... Uh, so basically you, you need to seal all the holes, otherwise fluid will just get back inside. And so he comes out with these syringes and he's about to stick my eyeball with this syringe while I'm still awake. And I just said, hell no, what are you doing? And he explained, I need to inject your eyeballs. And so I had to call for a nurse. I needed to hold someone's hand because <laughs> I was freaking out. Surprisingly, it didn't hurt as much as what you think it would. And I don't know if that had to do had something to do with all the drugs that I had already been you know, taken 
from the procedure, but it actually did not hurt. I think it was just the feeling of him sticking this needle into the eye. And so I'm taken to this room and I have to lie down. He gets this iron rod and sticks it into the eyeball and pushes down and I have to look left and right um, continuously over a certain period of time. And he's got this uh, laser that's just flashing red and green and it's quite warm and you can smell the the heat the the warmth of it on the on the backs of the eyes like it's just a really weird smell he's pretty much yeah you're done I was pretty much out of the hospital yeah I was in, in a wheelchair being rolled out by um one of my friends who when they saw me they just could not believe it that it was actually me I had these two eye patches on the eyes and I think that was probably the worst feeling is going home. I had people that was helping me, looking after me, but going to sleep at night thinking, am I going to be able to see tomorrow is probably the worst feeling you can have, even though the success rate is very, very high. Uh, and I was told I had the best surgeon in Western Australia. You still can't help but have that feeling that maybe you won't be able to see and it was a massive healing process. So I'm not saying that this is the reason why I went plant-based, but it definitely made me think about nutrition and health because there was, there was no other reason as to why I would have these detached retinas. I had explained to my surgeon that I had done quite a bit of skydiving and I had done a scuba dive where I came up to the surface a little too fast and I thought maybe that impacted my eyes in some way and he just didn't seem to think that that was what it was it had nothing to do with the accident with the cyclist when I fell it impacted my legs and my arms I protected my face my head so there was no um, trauma to the head and it definitely has something to do with trauma to the eye or uh, old age, which I obviously wasn't old. And it was quite funny. I was the youngest person in the surgery. And I have to go back yearly just to check that it's still attached. And, and it is, but it's funny because all the old people come up to me and they've got their walking sticks or wheelchairs and they always go, what are you doing here? You're way too young. It was definitely an esoteric experience and uh, it definitely sent me on a hunt to see what possibly it, it could have been. And uh, yeah, so I looked into plant-based and I thought to myself, no, I couldn't do that. It's just, yeah, I just can't see myself going that way. So I went vegetarian, went back to eating meat. Then I went to vegetarian and eating white meat, so chicken and then I went to pescatarian, so a lot of fish and vegetables, and that worked for me for a really long time. Uh, I think after Mongolia, I went to Mongolia, lived with some nomads, and I also volunteered at an orphanage there, and just the food that they were eating was a lot of animal products. So I'd have things like rice pudding for breakfast and um just a lot of dairy that really upset my tummy. So I think that also made me go, you, I've got to go plant-based, but I was still loving fish at the time. Uh, and then it was 
a documentary called Earthlings that really hit the spot. And that is a documentary narrated by Waikin Phoenix. And it's a whole bunch of footage of what happens in these slaughterhouses and how the animals are treated. And it's horrific and it really brings tears to the eyes. It really made me hate the world. It made me hate myself. But more uh, people in general. And I ended up locking myself up for a bit. I just didn't want to like socialize with anyone. <laughs> All because of this documentary and a whole bunch of other things. But then that's what sent me on a goose chase to discover other things as well, even just with the meat industry, all of the corruption, just the health risks as well and how people are becoming overweight, having a lot of issues with their autoimmune system, cancer, liver, kidney diseases, diabetes, a big one as well. So then this led me to steroids and hormones that are injected into animals and they're injected into them so that they can grow faster and larger, pretty much so that they can get them off to the slaughterhouses and onto your plate as soon as possible. A lot of the GMO crops, so soya beans in particular, a lot of people think that soya beans go to vegans, but a lot of it, a high percentage of it actually goes to the livestock industry. So again, they are injected with steroids hormones and then they're also eating GMOs as well one of the the big things for me in the Philippines it was the golden rice trial that was quite a few years back but a lot of people not just activists but people that are from the Philippines were very much against having GMO in their foods and the government had pretty much stated to them that it was going to help them with poverty there was no certainty for the long-term effects that GMOs can have on people's bodies. So common sense, really, if you're consuming extra hormones, it's going to disrupt the natural hormonal balance in the body. Our bodies are designed to produce enough testosterone and estrogen. So consuming more of it is definitely going to impact the body in some way, especially if you're a child who is still developing the effects that it's going to have on their brain and sex organs. You know, no wonder why men are having man boobs and a lot of the new generation are unsure as to whether or not they're a male or female. So you've got your three natural steroids, which is your estradiol, your testosterone and progesterone, and then your three synthetic hormones, so your estrogen, your compound, xenranol, and androgen trimbolin not only is a animal injected with these types of chemicals they're also under a lot of stress and anxiety when they are in these slaughterhouses or farming industries and even though a farmer might express that they don't treat their animals poorly you're still confining them the impact that the environment has on the animal as well so these animals are kept in confined places, cages, and that must have impact on them in, in some form of stress, anxiety, depression. I think about what depression does 
to a human being. It can affect our immune system, our health. It can cause diseases, inflammation. I just wouldn't want to consume that animal. Not just because of the nutritional value, also ethically as well, because that was a living creature that, like I said, suffers. It feels it's a sentient being. I understand communities, Indigenous people that would use animals as a source of food. I think that is is fine. There are some countries where they don't have access to plant-based food or they are from a community where that is all that they know. I've been out to the Indigenous community and I have seen how they hunt animals and how there is a ritual that goes into it. And that one animal is distributed to so many different people. Every part of that animal is used. And there's a lot of respect that the people have for the animal. It's also not injected with a whole bunch of toxins as well, which is also a good thing. But in terms of hunting for a sport, there's just something not right about that. It's disrespecting the animal that animal was was provided to us for a particular reason and it's not to exploit and it's not there to hunt recreationally to fill our egos so just to reiterate i hope i'm not rambling on too much so genetically modified foods you know it's it's pretty much everywhere it's mainly in salmon uh, seedless grapes so if you if you've got if you find yourself liking seedless grapes it is definitely GMO. Sugar, I recommend monk fruit, which is a, a natural sugar. It's um, The reason why it's called monk fruit is because it was found by monks and it's extracted from a fruit. So highly recommend if you want to substitute your sugar for monk fruit. It's probably one of the best. It's better than stevia. Corn, definitely a GMO. Uh, soybean as well I know that there's going to be a lot of vegans that disagree with that but there is a lot of GMO in in soybeans and we've also got wine which is one of my favorites but I've definitely cut down my wine a bit and I think I'm going to eventually get rid of wine completely these animals are not only injected with these chemicals toxins but they're also fed GMO so genetically modified organisms and crops like soybean a lot of people think that soybean crops are provided to vegans for their for their soy milk and tofu but a high percentage of it is actually fed to livestock i don't know about you but i don't think i'd want to eat an animal that is full of You've got your three natural steroids, which is your estradiol, your testosterone, your progesterone, and then your three synthetic hormones, so your estrogen, your compounds, and a role, and uh, androgen, trimbolin, and progestin. And progestin actually shuts down the female's uh, uterus cycle as well. So all of those things combined, I just would not want to eat that animal and I often think about the environmental impacts as well what that can actually do to an animal if you think about a human being and 
the impacts that the environment can have on their internal organs can affect their immune system. They're more prone to disease. Animals are sentient. They feel, they suffer, probably more innocent (laughs) than any human being. So the impacts of when something hurts them and they don't understand why is going to impact them a lot more than, than a human being that knows right from wrong. Anyway, so there's definitely an ethical side to it, a moral side to it, which is my number one reason. Also the, the risks of eating that animal as well because of what it's been injected with, what it's consumed. But also the impacts of agriculture on the environment global warming, climate change. I have my own thoughts about what those concepts mean to me. And regardless of what's true and what's not, agriculture is not good for the environment. We shouldn't be chopping down more trees just so we can accommodate the uh, power elite so they can profit and earn more money from people eating meat, consuming meat, as well as the health risks that it has on people's bodies because the medical industry obviously is thriving at the moment. We've got a lot of people that have autoimmune issues, cancer, liver, kidney disease, a lot of people that are overweight, a lot of people with diabetes. So one of the main concerns about this industry is that it is gene altering. It's basically genetically engineered food, but I still don't think there's been enough study done into it and the long-term effects that it can actually have. I'm trying to minimize as much as I possibly can. Foods are not going to have that label on them that they are genetically modified foods. And uh, you're probably best off going with something organic, but you're best off going to your local farmers, head down to the farmers markets and look at your fruit and your vegetables. And the bigger... (laughs) the vegetable is, the shinier it is, you know that it's going to have some form of GMO. And um, also how long it stays intact in your fridge. I find that a lot of vegetables that are GMO-based, they can last weeks in my fridge. Whereas if I go to the local market, I need to eat my vegetables within the space of two days. So those are, those are good ways of knowing whether or not your food is GMO-based. So I only really started to fast in the last year. I had fasted a couple of times and it was usually just before I'd go on a big hike. And I think the most I did at the time was three days. But in the last year, I've been doing four to five. And I don't do it a lot. I've probably done it four times this year. I, since I've gone plant-based, I pretty much intimate, intimate at fast. So it would be the 16 and eight, or sometimes I'll just eat one meal a day and I feel fine about it. I don't feel weak or like I had said, I get regular blood, blood tests done and there's never really any massive changes in my, my blood levels. I do uh, yin yoga, uh, bar bike, I go to the gym, I also jog, I do about seven kilometers and 
this isn't all the time. This isn't like every single day. I do change it up quite a bit, but I'm working out at least three times a week. Obviously on the days that I am working out, I tend to be a little more peckish and I need to eat a little more. And so I do. So I only ever really listen to my body, which I think a lot of people need to do. And when I say that, I also mean, why are you eating the food? Are you sitting in front of the TV and feeling down on yourself so you're eating more or have you actually gone to the gym and been active and you need to get more calories into your body? Part of the reason why I do enjoy fasting is because of my relationship with food. And as weird as that sounds, because people think, no, you should eat to have a better relationship with food. I find the more that I eat, the more I struggle. It sounds like a food disorder, but it's really not. When I'm at the office and there's an event on and there's just crispy creams and and sausage rolls and a whole bunch of you know fatty food, I like that I don't have to eat. So I think it's improved my relationship with food. I've started to look at food as when I require it and really enjoy it when I eat it. I find the taste is so much better as well after I've been fasting. So I found that there was a lot of benefits to fasting. One being ketosis. The thing that really appealed to me was autophagy. So after 24 hours, our body goes into autophagy. So that's when in basic terms, the cells within our body start to consume the weaker cells, cellularly recycle the cells within our body. So we're, we're basically creating better cells and these cells eventually move up to the brain and it can help with dementia and just overall brain function, which is something that I really wanted to achieve. Uh, mainly because my mom, I think, is suffering from a bit of dementia and uh, she's also a diabetic. So I found uh, ketosis quite appealing, the fact that fasting can do that. And um, just lowering our, our spike in insulin because the more we eat, the more we consume, the more insulin we create, the more our body spikes also did it because I, I wanted to be able to go out on my hikes and see how long I could last without drinking and eating food. That was, that was actually a really big thing for me because I often would think, well, what would happen if I go off on one of my big hikes and I have no food and water, how long would I last? So it was also a bit of a challenge on my own body because I, I do tend to find myself in some situations. And um, five days for me isn't a very long time. I would like to push it and see if I could go further than that. But the, the problem is, is that you can't be social if you are constantly fasting. You know, food, eating is a big part of socialising and it does make you happy as well. So uh, I would like to, to maybe do a 21-day fast, but at this stage, I think I'll stick to the, to the five or even just the three. So I highly recommend if you want to start feeling 
like you've got more energy, if you want to start feeling a lot more alert and increase your brain function, definitely try fasting. Intermittent fasting even is just as good. So you're 8 and 16. But even just trying plant-based for three days, three days of the week, just eating plant-based. When you start to research the foods that you eat, and understand how your body works i think you'll find it a lot easier to do i wish i knew a lot more during my whole phase of transitioning from vegetarian to pescatarian back to meat and yada 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 but i guess you know you learn as you go so better late than never a couple of vegan doctors that i recommend is dr michael clapper and dr neil barnard so check them out and uh, make your own decision whether or not you think what they say sounds logical. And um, remember, it's all about how you feel about your body. So, so many, there's so many things out there where people say this is right, this is wrong. You should eat three meals a day. You shouldn't fast for too long. If you feel good about it, if it makes you feel like you have more energy you're happier you're getting good night sleeps you're finding that you are a lot more calmer and i do recommend people getting blood tests as well just to just in general whether or not you're dieting just to to see what your your blood levels are like and instead of taking medicine to to help any deficiencies whether or not it's iron deficiencies or anything like that start consuming the right foods that are going to give you those those um, improvements so again do your research look into it and i hope you enjoyed this episode and be kind to yourself so remember to open your heart open your mind live life and be free thanks for tuning in